Well, today we finish up the read-through of Acts, and tomorrow we will start with the reading of Acts on a little more of a chapter-by-chapter basis there in chapter 1. But today we finish uh, a long section of reading from, from chapters 15 through 28, and this is really a new phase in the Christian faith, really, that's launched in these 13 chapters. We see in chapter 15, the Jerusalem Council finally puts a stake in the ground as to what um, is required of a believer, of a follower of Jesus who wants to who wants to join the body, wants to join the church, you know, the institution of the church. They, they uh, finally put a stake in the ground and decide what it takes to do that. And I love the person that stands up to say this. It's, it's James, the, the brother of Jesus. And um, one of my favorite pastors, Andy Stanley, really harps on this idea a lot. But it's this idea that, um, that James, you know, what would it take for someone you know, let alone a, a, a blood relative like a brother or a sister, to convince you that they are the Savior of the world. I mean, James, his, his, just the fact that he is a follower of Jesus, a follower of his brother, is an amazing testimony to the validity of the story of Jesus. I mean, we don't see James celebrating early in life, you know, cheering Jesus on. We, we don't see that. It took until Jesus died, was raised from the grave, ascended back into heaven, and then James all of a sudden is a believer. That is an amazing testimony. But the the big thing for today, once we turn past the Jerusalem Council in chapter 15, is really we watch Paul spread Christianity to the rest of the world outside of Jerusalem, to to all these non-Jewish converts, non-Jewish believers. And, And Paul does two things that you can just see over and over and over again repeated. First, it's this idea that uh, Paul uses reason and logic to approach people. And I, and I love, it, it's a subtle reminder that we don't have to feel like we're losing our minds to be Christians. We don't have to jettison science and reason and logic to be a Christian. There are highly intelligent scientists, astrologers, philosophers who, who come to faith because they explore it in the context of, of, of their field of study. So there are perfectly competent, highly intelligent people who believe what we believe. It's just that they're not yelling the loudest. So so you don't have to jettison science and reason to be a Christian. The second thing that Paul demonstrates to us is that our behavior is a means of influencing others. Our behavior is not a way to get God to do our work. We talked about this yesterday. It's not, we don't behave so that God will do us favors. We behave A, so that we can have our relationship restored with God. We can experience God's grace and that closeness with God. We can feel it. But secondly, our behavior is an influence. When we behave a certain way, it's not to condemn others. We don't, if, if, if we're behaving in a manner to make other people feel bad, we're doing it wrong. The purpose of our behavior is to gain influence. You can see over and over and over again judgments that Paul is making through these chapters where he's saying, no, don't do it that way. Do it this way. And it's not because you won't experience God's grace. It's because you want to get closer to those people. You want to gain influence over those people. So I love those two big reminders this morning that science and reason are not juxtaposed to our faith as Christians. And secondly, that it's our behavior. Our behavior is an influence, not condemnation. Our behavior is an influence. And if we're using our behavior to influence others, then we're doing it correctly.